We're uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's been a little while since we've been here two weeks ago. Uh, last thing we discussed, the position of tongues is secondary to prophecy. Uh, at, at Corinth, everybody wanted to be able to speak in a tongue and um, because it gave them... Uh, prestige or something it, it was it was for their self gratifications what it was and a lot of them just faked it but um, they had it wrong Paul points out that prophecy it's better to be a, able to prophesy than it was to speak in the tongue it's, there's more value to it uh, which really messed them up because that's what they were hoping would make them famous but it didn't work out too good I'm stuck, son. There you go. I'm still stuck. Huh? No, it's still on. I can see it. That thing ain't hid from me, is it? No, battery looks good. Got a full battery. There it went. Whoop, whoop, whoop. There it went. Um, huh? What did you do? Okay, this section, verses 20 to 25, uh, Paul's going to talk about the purpose of tongues. <clears throat> Brethren, I do not... <clears throat> Do not be children in understanding. Uh, however, in malice be babes. Don't be children, but be children. Okay? It's what he's saying, basically. But he's talking about two different things. Don't understand like a child does. A child, they can't grasp a lot of things. Uh, don't, don't, uh, don't understand as a child would. But when it comes to malice, uh, doing wicked things, uh, mistreating people, uh, gossip, whatever, uh, be babes, be like a child instead. Uh, Jesus uh, taught about that a great deal. In understanding, instead of being children, we're supposed to be mature. In Matthew 18 and also in Mark 10, our Lord said, Assuredly, I say to you, Unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child, this person is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, to be great in God's kingdom, we are to be childlike. There's a difference between the two. You can be childlike, which the Lord commends, as a matter of fact, uh, he speaks of it very highly. In 1 Corinthians 13 and 11, Paul said, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, and I thought as a child. He behaved as a child when he was a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. We are to be childlike, but we're not to be childish. And there's a difference between the two. Uh, childlike is... Uh, uh, 
the wonderful attributes of children. Uh, they get angry, they get into a little fight, and uh, a few minutes later, uh, they go back to playing like nothing ever happened. Uh, sometimes the parents, you know, parents get into it, the kids are getting into it, the parents get into it. Uh, and before you know it, the children are playing again, the parents won't speak to each other for another couple of years because they're mad and they can't get over it. Children can. Be like that is what the Lord is saying. Take on that characteristic. Be able to forgive. Be able to turn it loose. Don't let it uh, eat at you. And don't, uh, don't behave badly. There's a lot of things that children don't do until we teach them how to do it. Backbiting, gossip, uh, things like that. They learn that uh, from adults. Uh, but when they're very small people, uh, they don't think about such things. Be childlike, but don't be childish. Uh, children uh, uh, can be can be silly. Uh, children, whatever. Uh, uh, what children do that's childish, we're to stay away from. The, the, the two different things, we are to be one, we are to abstain from the other. Uh, he quotes Isaiah chapter 28, verses 11 and 12. It is uh, written in law, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people. This is Jehovah speaking to uh, the people of Israel, uh, especially the northern kingdom uh, back in Isaiah at this time. Uh, the problem was he... Time and time again, he encouraged the northern kingdom to stop sinning and to repent. And he sent prophet after prophet after prophet, but they wouldn't listen to him. Well, finally, he says, I sent someone who doesn't speak their language. I sent someone who speaks another language. And by these people whom you cannot understand their language, I'm going to teach you something, okay? He was speaking about the Assyrians. That's when he said, I'm going to whistle for the Assyrians, and they're going to come. Uh, he's going to bring them into Israel to punish uh, the Israelites because they won't stop sinning, even though the prophets, one after another, continue to uh, plead with them. And yet, he said, for all that, they still will not hear me. Even after the Assyrians come, and even after they give them a, a good thrashing, they're still not going to listen uh, to what the Lord wants them to do. They're not going to do it. They've already made up their mind. They know what the will of God is. They're not going to do it. They just don't want to do it. And therefore... God brought the nation to an end. He sent the Assyrians in. The Assyrians uh, defeated Israel, all the tribes of the northern kingdom, and they carried them off into foreign lands. They scattered them throughout the Assyrian Empire. Uh, they're not going to have any uh, power anymore. They're not going to be a national people anymore. Nobody's going to, in a few years, nobody's going to even know what the northern kingdom was. 
because they're going to be out of the picture, more or less, and cease to exist. All that's going to be left is uh, Judah and, of course, Benjamin. Uh, I spoke to them through the prophet time after time after time, and they wouldn't listen. So I selected someone who speaks a language they don't understand, and I sent that person. But that person didn't come to bring them to repentance. That person came to destroy them as a nation. And uh, he did, Sennacherib did. Uh, he defeated them uh, soundly. It was, uh, that's what Paul's talking about. Uh, the other tongue. Exactly why it fits in here, I'm not sure. But uh, this is what he's saying. In Deuteronomy 28, verse 49, uh, Moses, before Moses died, he spoke to the people of Israel, and he said, The Lord will bring a nation against you from afar, from the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flies, a nation whose language you will not understand. Now, this is about seven or eight hundred years before the Assyrian war machine came into Israel and t took it out of existence. Moses prophesied that event. There would be a, a people they don't, they don't know their language and they're going to come in and they're going to destroy the nation and that at the behest of God. Sometimes uh, I think uh, a good many people uh, don't see an angry God uh, we see God as a, a gentle old person it's like me uh, when I raised children, uh, I stayed on my toes, and uh, I was there to correct them or whatever had to be done. And now that I got uh, grandkids, I don't care what they do. If they want something, they can come and ask me, and I, I'll give it to them. It, it's, it's different. My grandkids are exposed to a person Chris and Amanda uh, wasn't even raised by. And so who is that man fooling with my children? Uh, a gentle old man, easy, ready to forgive. Not soon to get angry. Not going to spank you because this gentle old man doesn't do that kind of stuff. Sometimes I think we view God that way, as a gentle old man sitting in a, a, a rocking chair. And the thing about God is he doesn't age. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't get stiff or wrinkled. 
God is as vibrant now as he's ever been in his existence, which has been forever and ever. Uh, and the thing about God is that when he says he'll do something, he's going to do it. A lot of times, well, oh, God wouldn't do that. I remember uh, I had a debate with uh, Jehovah Witness, and it was over uh, uh, baptism. And uh, this person uh, said, do you really believe that a person has to be baptized in water to be saved? And if they're not baptized in water, they're not going to be saved. Do you really believe God would punish that person? And I, I said, yeah. Well, why? Because he said he would. That's all I know. He said he would. I assume he told the truth. I expect that's what he's going to do. Whatever God says, he will do. We may not understand it. We may think it's overbearing or, or too rough a punishment. But if God said he's going to do something, you might as well write it down because it will be done, whatever it is he said. Israel uh, was babied by God from the time of the Exodus until the days of Isaiah. He babied uh, Israel. He, he fed them. He watered them. Uh, he, he gave them uh, their own vine and fig tree. They, they moved into houses they did not build. They used barns that were there when they got there. God was very kind. He was very gentle, very caring, very sensitive. And then when they stopped listening to him, he destroyed them. He whistled, and the Assyrian military machine came rolling into the land. And when they left, there were no Israelites left, unless a few that may have hid out somewhere. He told him he would do that. Moses told him it's going to happen. He told him it was going to happen. Even though at this moment in, in their existence, everything is great in Israel. I mean, it's great. They're fixing to go into the land of Canaan. It can't get no better than this. They're going to have their own homeland. They're going to become a nation among nations. They're going to be a people, not a bunch of slaves. And God made all that possible because he loved Israel. And he took care of them whenever they needed. He was there to make sure they received it. He fed them miraculously with the manna. He allowed Moses to fetch water from a rock. Time and time again, he showed them his special love for them. And yet, at the same time, Moses is telling them, if you do good, God will bless you. 
If you do bad, God will punish you. And let me tell you something that's going to happen out in the future. The Lord's going to send a people into Israel who doesn't speak your language, and they're going to destroy you. He knew that was going to happen, and it did. I don't know how much any of us all of us really believe what God has said. But uh, if he said it, he'll do it. Therefore, the conclusion, tongues are for a sign to demonstrate that God is with this person. Same thing that uh, Mark said in Mark 16 and verse 20. It was to uh, buttress their words. God sent me. How do I know? I speak in your language, even though I'm a Galilean. It's for a sign, so people know who you are associated with. Not to those who believe. It's not for believers. Believers don't need signs. Jesus said one time, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for signs. And there'll be no sign given it other than the resurrection. Believers don't need signs. Why? Because they already believe. It was the unbeliever that needed the sign. So God allowed there to be signs so that the unbeliever would know that this person was speaking on behalf of the living God. But believers... They, did, they needed something different. He'll go on and talk about it. Prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. The tongue is for the unbeliever. The prophecy is for the believer. The prophecy is instruction, teaching, education, for edification, for building up. The will of God is what is delivered in prophecy. And the unbeliever doesn't need to hear that. Why? They're unbelievers. Before that's going to do them any good, they've got to become a believer. But believers, on the other hand, that's going to help them become strong spiritually, develop their spiritual muscles. Prophesying is not for the unbelievers, but for those who believe, because prophesying or teaching, that's a I think what Paul means in this text, I don't think he's talking about prophesying about future events, though it could happen. Primarily, I think he's talking about instruction, teaching. That was, uh, that was much better because the believers could benefit from the instruction. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place like we do, except the children be over here with us, and all speak with tongues, foreign tongues, foreign language, uh, or maybe gibberish, okay? We come into one place, we're all speaking something that nobody can understand, maybe not even us. And there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, those who uh, don't understand what the tongues are those who do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. If they come into the assembly 
and we're all speaking in a, 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 a tongue, a language that can't be understood, <clears throat> will they not say that you are out of your mind? Well, sure they would. That's what it looks like anyway. Everybody's rattling. Did you ever watch one of them Holy Roller church services? When I was a kid, we used to go to this uh, church. I forgot what kind of church it was. But the Holy Rollers, uh, they used the basement of that church. And we'd lay down on the ground, peep through the window, and watch them. And uh, I never seen the like in my whole life. I didn't know what was going on, to be honest with you. I, I don't know. It was scary, really, to me. I was just a kid. And people were running around and hooping and hollering and rolling in the floor. I never seen nothing like it in my life. When I saw that, I thought they were out of their mind. And that's what Paul's saying here. If somebody comes into the church service and everybody's yapping in a, in a, a tongue, a language that can't be understood or even gibberish, aren't the people going to say you're out of your mind? That's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like a holy roller service. And everybody's going to think you're out of your mind. That's the conclusion anybody's going to draw. You know, uh, one thing that's always uh, bothered me through the years is uh, preachers mostly, uh, denominational preachers, who, uh, who talk about faith as something that has no substance. Uh, I believe. Why do you believe? God gave me faith. Gave me faith. Uh, I believe. Why do you believe? Because I feel it in my heart. And just know it's got to be true. That's faith without substance. That's the opposite of what uh, Paul wrote in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. What they're talking about when they talk that way is... Uh, something that doesn't make sense to my mind. And it doesn't make sense to uh, most people. Why would you believe something with, if you don't have any evidence? You know, the Christian life, when a person decides they're going to become a Christian, they're deciding to give their life to Jesus Christ. I'm going to follow his instructions. I'm not going to follow my instructions anymore. I'm going to follow his instructions. Well, why would I do that? There's only one good reason why a person would do it. It's because they know and believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that in him lies eternal life. But how do you know that? You've got to see the evidence. Without the evidence, you can't know it. You can, you can hope it. You might feel like it. You might wish it to be true. But without evidence proving that he is the Son of God, you can't know he is. And if you can't know he is, you can't believe, at least not in, in much of a degree. Uh, faith comes by hearing 
the word of God, Romans 10, 17. The word of God is the evidence. When you examine the evidence, then you can have faith. Maybe, maybe uh, this is why some people, their faith is not strong. They don't, they don't have conviction. They're not confident that what they believe is true. I remember a time when I wasn't sure if the Lord Jesus really was the Son of God. Sometimes I would doubt and I would wonder, am I, am I living this life as a Christian in vain? After my life is over, is there not going? Is there, is there going to be nothing there at all? Is it going to be uh, non-existence at death? Oh, them doubts, man, they get in my head and drive me nuts. Uh, what was the problem? I didn't have enough evidence yet. I had enough evidence to cause me to believe. But because my faith was jittery, sometimes I, doubts would arise in my mind. And I hated the doubts because I thought, what kind of a man am I if I had these doubts? Whether or not Jesus is really God in flesh, I'm not supposed to be wondering about that. That's supposed to be a long gone conclusion. And yet I still had the doubts. Why? I hadn't enough evidence. But as I studied and searched the scriptures, for in them we have eternal life, our Lord said. We find the evidence that convinces us that our faith is not in vain. That Jesus Christ is indeed the Son of God. And that he'll keep his promises. That is so important. So important to develop faith. Because we have to develop it. We have to work for it. I'm not saying you gotta you gotta read the Bible every night for four hours or anything like that. But what I am saying is that we must continue to digest the Word of God, to eat it, to consume it. So we can become convinced that our faith is not in vain. When a person gets to the point that they know their faith is not in vain, someone could hold a gun to their head and say, deny Jesus or I'm going to pull the trigger. And you would let them pull the trigger. Thousands of people died in the first three centuries. Christians, they died because they refused to deny Christ.
Why did they refuse? Because they believe. Why did they believe? It's because they examined the evidence. A person who doesn't have a rock-solid faith may not be up to becoming a, a sacrifice, a martyr for the cause of Christ. It takes a lot of faith to do that. So we want to continue learning time and time again. This is what believers do. That's why prophecy is so important. I mean teaching. I'm talking about teaching when I mention prophecy. That's why it's so important because we continue to build on our knowledge. Remember what Paul said in Romans 1.17? We go from faith unto faith. I got this much faith. Then I got this much faith. Then I got this much faith. And then I got this much faith. The, some in the denominational world, they say going from one uh, denomination to another, faith, faith, faith. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's talking about faith growing, becoming stronger, becoming a, a living thing inside of us. Christ lives in us. We want we want, we want to know that Jesus is the Son of God. We want to see the proof. And that's what we do when we study the Scriptures. We study an infallible book which strengthens our faith in leaps and bounds. But if all prophesy, that is, teach the gospel, and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. By all is all the believers who are prophesying, teaching the gospel. He is convinced of the truth because the truth has been presented to him in a logical fashion where his mind can comprehend it. And he can add two plus two makes four. He's convinced that what has been taught is indeed the truth. And once he's convinced that he just heard the truth, then he is convicted by the truth. That's when you get that sharp pain that runs through your body and you realize that you're a sinner and you don't want to be a sinner anymore. He is convinced by all. He is convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart are revealed. He repents. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. If you're all speaking in tongues, they think you've lost your mind. But if you're preaching, teaching the word of God, there's a possibility that a person may be moved by the gospel that's presented to him, which is greater tongues or prophecy. Okay, uh, the proper procedure of tongues was systematic and orderly. We won't be able to get through all this, but we'll get started. How is it then, brethren? Whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. How does things go, brethren? 
Well, let me tell you, when you come together, you have a psalm, you have a teaching, you have a tongue, yada, 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 okay? That's what's in the church. Then he says, let all things be done for edification. Edification means for uplifting, for building up. Whatever is done, it's supposed to be done for that purpose. If a person is leading singing, he is to do so intending to uplift people or build people up, singing spiritual songs and hymns. If a person's going to pray, he's praying aloud on behalf of all of his brothers and sisters. And he's supposed to talk to his father in heaven to communicate on a very personal level. And in doing so, build up those who pray with him. And the same thing is true about the teacher. The teacher's job is to educate, to motivate, to cause people to grow in faith. And that can only be done by intelligible words. And sometimes that doesn't happen, especially now. In a lot of places, that doesn't happen at all. Church services are Uh, skits, plays, things of that. I, I read of one church in Ohio uh, that they got a, a wrestling ring between the pews and the pulpit. And uh, a lot of times when they assemble, uh, they wrestle. That's what the service is. I know a preacher, uh, he told me himself that... Uh, service one Sunday he went to a rest home he talked to a sister that was there in the rest home and they had a good conversation had a good time and that next Sunday the service for that day when the church came together was to see a video of his conversation with that sister now, those who knew her, I'm sure they liked seeing her. But that's not the purpose of the assembly. The purpose of the assembly is to edify, to build up, to educate, to help people go stronger in the faith. But sometimes worship services have lost their purpose. And they've been given a new purpose by some. He, then he says in verse 40, this is the end of the chapter, let all things be done decently and in order. I've interrupted our survey here by using verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. He doesn't say it, but it's, it's as if he says, let me show you what decently and in order is like. Okay? The service at Corinth wasn't decent and in order. So Paul is going to show them what such a service is like. And he's going to explain it to them as he proceeds and concludes in verse 40. 
he he already said whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm teaching, et cetera, et cetera. The problem with them was they all wanted to participate at the same time. Imagine that, would you? You got uh, 40, 11 preachers out here in the audience, and everybody stands up and starts preaching at the same time. I'm preaching, not you. I got a better sermon than you got. Well, I'm not sitting down. I'm preaching. So we both preach. Three of us preach. Five of us, ten of us start preaching. This is what was going on at Corinth. They were not interested in serving others. They weren't interested in learning the truth. They weren't interested in edifying their brothers and sisters. It wasn't about others. It wasn't about assisting others. It wasn't about loving others. They were only interested in self-expression and self-glory. That's all they cared about was their self. Being seen of men and looking real good. Each participant vied for attention and preeminence. That was Corinth. Corinth was a mess. It was a mess. They didn't love one another. I'm confident that the most of them didn't even love the Lord. They loved church. They loved being a part of church. They loved being somebody in the church. And that's what it was all about to them. It was a sad situation. It was very sad, but that's the way it was. It was heartbreaking. We'll, uh, we'll continue, or we'll start <laughs> next week, God willing, uh, right here. And I'll do my best to get through verse 40. <clears throat>